0: back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. We're now for five and a half years, 300 episodes. We have as a company and me as the host had the enormous honor, responsibility and privilege to bring you now twice a week interviews with what we think are the world's most influential voices. Voices on time management, productivity, leadership, culture, strategy building an organization that is enduring where people choose every day to come to work and give their all and feel respected in the process it's been an enormous honor to have been the voice and the face of this podcast for the franklin covey company which is the world's most trusted leadership firm where i've been privileged to serve 25 years of my career as an employee a colleague and an executive leader here and for the last three and a half years as an advisor to the firm as now a contractor. It's been an amazing, nearly 30-year association with this firm, and I hope that I'm privileged to sit in this chair for the coming months and years as well. 300 interviews. Our 100th interview featured now a dear friend of mine, Nick Vujicic, who you know as a famous author, influencer, and speaker. Nick is a man of incomparable gratitude and influence. Nick also has no arms and no legs but manages every day to wake up and be an energy infuser to countless millions around the world. He was our 100th interview. Our 200th interview was a man of also enormous influence, as a physician, as an author, as a guide (coughs) to many people in their spirituality. He was Deepak Chopra. He is Deepak Chopra. He was our 200th interview. And as we thought about who might be fitting to serve as our 300th interview. It came very quickly to be Tova Friedman. She is a fierce woman of courage, of (laughs) persistence. Thank you. She's the author of the most recently released book, The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilience, Survival, and Hope. And the back of her book reads the following, quote, I am a survivor that comes with a survivor's obligation to represent one and a half million Jewish children murdered by the Nazis. They cannot speak, so I must speak on their behalf. Tova Friedman, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you. Tova, it's an honor to have you here. You are uh, an American citizen. You obviously were and are a Polish Jew that was conscripted like six million were by the Nazis And with unspeakable horror, murdered in multiple concentration camps, you, of course, with your family were drawn into and ultimately survived the Auschwitz death camps. Today, this is going to be a sobering interview, and I hope that I bring with it the level of respect and humility that you deserve and that your book and its courage deserve as we, together, remind the world of the atrocities that you and six members of your your heritage and faith faced at the unspeakable deaths at the hands of the Nazis during the Second World War. Tova, I'd like you to open this interview today with what your mission was in writing this book because you mentioned in the opening that you, like me, are horrified at how quickly the presence and knowledge of this tragedy are slipping on the world Talk about what some of the research shows the current awareness is about the Holocaust. Can you speak to that and talk about how concerned you are around how quickly knowledge of the Holocaust is slipping through people's Well, you know,
1: to us, to people like me, uh, it just happened recently because I'm 85 and I remember things sometimes when I really think about it as if it... It's happening, and I remember all the details to the young generation. This is history and not that interesting. And it's true. They don't remember, not only do they not remember, they never knew. They were never taught. Some schools do teach, but many schools do not. And uh, it's horrifying to me because you really have to know not only. The, the fabulous things that happen to us in our generation, and there are some great things, but also the horrible things, the scary things, maybe to help to prevent them and to be aware of them, to be aware of your environment. So um, I'm really very happy that the book got such excellent reviews and 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 it's translated, and many young people are reading it. Tova,
0: you were able, like few, to survive the horror at the Auschwitz Birkenau death camp. You went on to have a beautiful family and live a life of immense contribution as a therapist. It has taken me several books, several weeks, to finish your book because of the detail and the horror that you share in this book about what happened so that it cannot be lost amongst the world's population. I wanna take a couple of minutes and read a passage from your book, one of hundreds of passages that are accurate and recreated through your own experience and that of your co-author Malcolm as well. Listen with me as I read this passage and I'm gonna ask you to add some context to it. Be patient with me. Page 67. My grandparents were taken to the woods on the outskirts of the town. I have no proof of what happened to them, but I imagine they would have done their best to follow a traditional Jewish ritual when death is imminent. When we know we are about to die, we recite a prayer. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone in you shall love your God, your Lord Your God with all your heart, with all your being and all your might. You then write, I wonder if they had time to make their peace in that way, as did other Jews headed for the gas chambers in Berknau. I can picture what happened to them. After struggling to climb down from the truck, along with other Jews condemned to death, they would have heard guttural German voices ordering them to walk towards the pit, dug by their son and others. Pearl and Emmanuel didn't speak German. They must have been completely confused. I suspect their last moments were spent agonizing over what the Nazis might do to the rest of their family. I doubt they would have stared at the muzzles pointing at them. So many were shot in the back. One would have heard the bullets that killed the other a fraction of a second before he or she fell, too. Sometimes after a massacre, the ground would heave as those buried alive tried in vain to dig themselves out. More than anything, I hope they weren't still breathing when the earth was heaped upon them. I pray the soil didn't move after shovels were tossed into the back of the truck that had been their hearse. And the slave laborers were driven away to perform that task again another day. Tova, this is unspeakable. This is not hyperbole. This is not conjured. This is the true death of six million Jews in the Second World War. This is a story about your grandparents. You share similar stories about relatives and neighbors being shot point blank and being gassed. It is a book that should be read by every human with a conscience who wants to be part of this never repeating itself. Tell me, will you describe the courage you summoned to write this book?
1: Well, you know, what's shocking to me And still is to this day that it happened and that the world was silent. They keep saying they didn't know, but the big German army felt that there were two populations that were their enemies. One were the children. That's why they killed the children as quickly as possible for all kinds of physical and psychological reason. And then the elderly, the elderly were as if they were a nuisance, annoying. They cannot help in the war effort. And elderly was anybody over 50. So every time they came to a town, that's the first um, victims. Children had to hide or they'd be shot. This before the gassing, this was in a ghetto. This was before the, the 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 terrible murders that that you you could have killed 20 30 000 in 24 hours as they were in the gas chamber that's the shooting time and i remember my father came in and i was about four and a half and they let me hear it because they, my mother felt i should know everything and he said i just put them on the truck and he had tears coming down he didn't cry out loud and i that's the first time I saw him cry. And, and I knew what happened because you see, there were squads of men, my, my father's um, uh, age group in the late twenties, early thirties, they were used to dig the graves. So it's like the parents dug the graves for the children and for their own parents. And when he told me that he told my mom and I listened to it that he just put my, his parents on a truck. I knew it. I knew my, my, my mother's mother had been shot a few weeks earlier outside the house. And this was, they were gathering all the elderly. So I, 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 you know, I knew all about it. I heard when he had to go and dig the graves and That's how most of our elderly people disappear. They disappeared. Uh, I never met an older person until I was um, in in America, almost 50 gray hair people alive. In fact, when I met my husband and an American and he had grandparents, I was just shocked that people have grandparents. It was important for me to tell the world so they so i don 't know if they are things as souls, but they know we are thinking of them. We remember we remember you didn't just die because one of the worst thing is that they, these people who were going to the gas chamber and so forth, the last words were "Remember us," and I remember and i want and after i 'm gone, I want all of you to remember.
0: And Tova Franklin Covey is honored today to be a platform to help us never forget uh, what happened. In addition to the slaughter that happened through unspeakable military murders, gas chambers and shootings and tortures, experiments. Hunger. Hunger. Hunger, diseases. Um, The psychological warfare that was perpetrated on you and your parents and your friends and your neighbors and your relatives was also unspeakable. You write extensively about the ghetto that you were forced into in Poland, moved from your homes and your families and forced sometimes 30, 40, 50, 60 people into a small apartment where the vast majority of them you didn't even know. And the interpersonal trauma that happened with that. You write about how for many years You literally lived under your dining room table. A, because there wasn't room for you to have a chair in this apartment. You lived under the tablecloth in your dining room table. Talk about that experience.
1: How did it affect me? Well, first of all, I learned about life very early. I learned about death, I learned about hunger. Most of all, I learned about enduring things in silence, because making noise meant that somebody will hear you or see you. My mother taught me from the very beginning to be invisible, not to have any eye contact with the German, um, not, and if, not to cry, but, but, but be aware So I knew the people by their voices. I knew them by their feet. I knew who was coming to the table and who wasn't. And I knew when the Germans were coming in. I also heard them outside the window, you know, the marching of the boots and the the barking. You learn at a very young age to be aware of your environment. and And it's up to you to save yourself. It's a type of a personal responsibility That's what I learned from a very, very young age, that you are responsible for yourself, and if you can, for other people, but mostly for yourself. My mother taught this to me immediately, as soon as I could understand words, really. Tova, your book
0: kind of lacks an adjective to describe it because it's a gift, it is horrifying, it is enlightening, it is necessary, it is a masterpiece of, um, of documentation, of history,
1: of what happened to you. I, I want to tell you something, you see, when you talk about numbers, six million, million and a half children, it's such a large number, we can't fathom it, we don't understand what a million is. But if you take one person, one human being, and you follow their life, that's a completely different picture. And that was my purpose. That take me and multiply me by a million and a half. And I just survive really, really by by luck. Accident, by luck, I wasn't better, I wasn't richer, I wasn't smarter, I wasn't anything. So, So I wanted as if those who have been murdered, those children, all kinds of children just because they were jewish could have been me and this is what they went through like i did they were in ghettos they were starving they were frightened their hair was shaven some of them were tattooed many were tattooed because they died in auschwitz i wanted to make this clear i sort of wanted to be a witness because because People can identify with one person. They can't, I can't identify with millions. Give me one person and I'll identify. And that was the purpose, I think.
0: Tova, you shared stories in the book about the smell and the constant right. presence of death and how you would see the ashes coming out of the, of the, 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 Jimmy, the sure. The, you'd see people's black ashes coming out of the chimneys and fluttering down. Absolutely. You
1: lived with it. You lived. Kids know about it, too. You know, people have an idea that children don't know much. It's not true. They may not be able to verbalize it. They know. Children that I was with in the children's camp knew that their parents were gassed. And when they, when we as kids looked at this gray smoke, we knew that these were people, and maybe people we know. We knew.
0: Tova, I want to share another story. The first half of it, I'm going to have you then share the second half. Um, you mentioned in unrelatable detail how you were part of a. Uh, 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 was it a dormitory or a a housing complex with children? What would you call it? What what is the name of the building?
1: barrack. A
0: barrack, thank you. A barrack, the
1: children's barrack.
0: Thanks, so you were were living in a children's barrack. You had been separated from your mother for six months. You'd forgotten what she looked like. You had no idea if she was alive. And one day, to your shock, an adult showed up at the door of the barracks. This was not allowed. People did not cross the yard. They were shot, they were killed, they were tortured. And one day, a ghastly woman showed up at the children's barracks door that basically was just skin hanging on bones with a wisp of hair kind of hidden, I think, in a scarf. And after some discernment, you realized it was your mother who you had not seen in six months. Remind me how old you were at this moment?
1: Six and a half. Six and a half years old. I had my sixth birthday in Auschwitz. At September is my birthday in a few weeks. Um, six, by then there was like an end of the war almost. So January, I was six and a half.
0: You were in, you were in the equivalent of American first grade. You had not seen right. your mother in six months. You had no idea if your family was alive. You were being starved and and, and, and persecuted and emotionally tortured. It, and it, tattooed. Don't, don't forget tattooed. And tattooed. It, it, it's, 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 It's beyond comprehension. Your mother shows at the door and kind of all hell is breaking loose in the camp. Things are changing. The guards aren't where they usually are. And your mother encourages you to flee into another part of the camp with her. And at risk of being killed, she takes you over to the infirmary known as kind of like the hospital where there are hundreds of Jewish prisoners in various Stages women. of end of life. All women, Yeah. All women. Some all are dead, women. some are dying, some are hallucinating, and your mother, an attempt to save your life, brings you into this infirmary, and she checks the warmth of all of the bodies in this infirmary to try to find which woman has just died. Will you explain why and in detail What happened next?
1: Well, we walked into the hospital. You know, I learned not to ask questions. I mean, I was so happy to be with her. I was holding onto her very tightly. And she walked around from corpse to corpse, touching them. She wanted a body that she can manipulate. You know, rigor morphis hasn't set in yet. She needed a flexible body. And she found a woman that to me was, you look younger than my mother. I didn't understand age, of course, but she, she must have just died. And she told me to get in. I did. And then she proceeded to manipulate my body in such a way as to leave no traces that I was under the blanket together with a woman. So I remember the way she put my head under her her armpit and she put my, my uh, mouth towards the... Towards the floor so I could breathe onto the floor, not up. I knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted me to sort of blend in with a body so that when they come, and she knew that they would come to the hospital and shoot the people that are still around, or I don't know why they wanted to leave no witnesses. All of Auschwitz was full of dead bodies. What kind of witnesses? Of course they were witnesses. And she she, but she wanted me, when they come in, and they will look at the body. She, by the way, she covered the blanket up to the top of the dead woman, and her hands were outside on the blanket like that. It also kept the blanket from moving. And she said to me, try to breathe very shallowly, quietly. She took it off my shoes, by the way. And, and, um, and, and that's what happened. And that's what happened, and I just lay there thinking about it. The body was very warm when I first got it; got a little colder, but I was still hugging that body, and in a way, it saved my life because when the Germans did come in and they did begin to shoot bodies that looked like you know they were half dying, they one person I know stopped by my bed and looked at at the corpse and was convinced that the person, that this woman is dead and didn't shoot, went on to the next. Meanwhile, I held my breath. I don't know how long I could have done it, but I held my breath enough. Maybe, I don't know how long, maybe half a minute. I don't know, until the person moved away. I just, I knew that my blanket cannot move. So that's how I got
0: I'm, I'm asking my questions as deliberately as possible because your story requires enormous respect. Uh, uh, how long were you under this corpse that your mother placed you under? Another fellow Jew in the, in the concentration camp, how long were you under there before she came and rescued you? No, I don't you?
1: know timing. All I know is that, that I was right. there and the body got colder a little bit colder because in the beginning, I, would you you believe it, that I appreciate the warmth of the corpse? I was just, I huddled. Um, And I don't know. And then I I smelled smoke. Well, Well, first they all came in and they started shooting and I could hear. And my mother said, Whatever happens, don't get uncovered. Whatever happens, whatever you hear. And of course, I listened and 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 uh, I heard screaming. I heard as if they were pulling people out of bed in order to you see they were getting everybody to walk to Germany to this, 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 uh, because they were they were fleeing, uh, fleeing from the Russians. So uh, I could hear that moving. I could, I could hear screaming. I didn't move and then there was quiet. So I guess they had left and they killed whoever they, they wanted to kill in that room. And uh, then I smelled smoke because as they left they would set the barracks on fire, hoping to get rid of any evidence possible. And and, and then that's what I began to think, how long can I breathe the smoke? It was so you know, I like get said Oh, my mother said nothing to get uncovered, but how long? I, I, when I just about thought to myself, I, I, I can't, I, I have to get some air, she uncovered me. I really don't know how long it took. I would say the whole thing a few hours probably.
0: Tova, uh, would you fast forward, how many years were you in total um, captive in Auschwitz?
1: Well, in Auschwitz, I only got there when I was like five and a half. But I was in the war from the time I was a year old. I was born in 1938. The war broke out in 39. And from 39 to 45, I was in some aspects of the war, different places.
0: Would you describe how your experience ended with your freedom and liberation?
1: (laughs) After after uh, they left, there was in uh, let's see, uh, January twenty fifth. Twenty fifth, they they left. The camp had no more Germans, and the Russians haven't arrived yet. So we had two days of being inside, but but in a way free. But we didn't do anything. We just stayed there, and then and, and the, the Russians came. And I remember that such and so well, uh, a Russian soldier came, picked me up and threw me up in the air. So I must have been six and a half, but I was probably very thin or whatever. And my mother nodded to me that it's okay. I remember looking at her, oh, this is another uniform. I didn't know the Russian uniform. And, um, and that's how we were liberated.
0: Tova, you went on to immigrate to the US through Europe, you were married for how many decades to your husband? Six, 60 years. 60 years. You have a large family. You went on to become well-educated and serve as a mental health therapist for, for people. Um, how, how have you summoned the resilience of not only your own recovery, but to help countless people suffering from their own trauma and tragedy what have you learned on your journey that you'd like everyone well, you know, that's listening and watching today to know?
1: I, I, I don't know if I learned. I, it's very hard to say about learning. I always never felt like a victim. I always had something like, I'm going to fight back in some way. And I think that being not only a survivor, but a, thri- I don't know a word like thriver, I'm thriving. He wanted to kill the Jews. I'm going to be very Jewish. I am. I go to the temple. I am kosher. My uh, we've, we've, we, we keep all the Jewish holidays. So he wanted to kill children. I'm going to have as many as I can. I wanted to have six, but I stopped at four. I have eight grandchildren. They know all about Judaism. They now with anti-Semitism. They're facing anti-Semitism now. It's too scary, but I hope I gave them strength. I just, I, 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 I had this thing of undoing. Like I, I wasn't going to lay down and let Hitler win. Uh, no, no. And it's the same thing with everything that happens in life. The idea that it's, I guess I learned very early from my mother, it's your responsibility to make life work. Whatever it is, whatever you go through your daily life, you could get depressed, you could get unhappy for a little bit. It's okay. And then get up and function and function well. I I think, sorry, I think I give my clients hope that they are resilient. They have much more strength than they can imagine. When a client says to me, oh, I can't do this. I said, no, you're right. You can't do it now, but you will be able to. You will.
0: Tova, I think one of the many gifts that you've given to the reader of your book is perspective. That doesn't mean that people's traumas and pain um, isn't real to them and-, and, and Very and, real, right. very real. And, um, and you also help to give perspective on your own trauma and your own pain and the horrors that came from the extermination camps, including your experience at Auschwitz. Your gift to me in this book has been a greater sense of gratitude to my mother who is still alive, to the role that my wife plays, to our three sons, and to have me pick my battles and my complaints a little more carefully in life. Your book was difficult to get through, but I think I owed it to you and to the million and a half Jewish children that were slaughtered in the war, I wanna read the back of the book cover one more time. As I am guessing, everyone that is listening and watching to this podcast moves to Amazon or Books A Million or to their favorite book retailer to buy your book. You write, quote, I am a survivor. That comes with a survivor's obligation to represent one and a half million Jewish children murdered by the Nazis. They cannot speak, so I must speak on their behalf. Your book is The Daughter of Auschwitz, My Story of Resilient Survival and Hope. Tova Friedman, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, I don't have any time, okay. No, no, please, you have as much time as you'd like. I wanted to be respectful. I I just wanted to say one word. I must talk about my grandson, Aaron Goodman, who took the story and he ran with it, and he educated millions and millions and millions of people his age, he's 18. He started this at 16 and a half. Uh, people his own age on TikTok. And he won a, some kind of a humanitarian award. He really felt that his age group doesn't know. And they listened because he is the same age as they are. So if they have trouble listening to me, an old lady, they are really listening to him. And I'm just so very, very proud of him. I just wanted to mention him.
0: I'm delighted you spotlighted him. I know exactly who he is. I have seen him on several uh, internet videos being interviewed with you and standing by your side. And so what a great ending of your story. Tova Friedman, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Best of success to you. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership.